So before we start recording, mm-hmm. I have a confession and I need you to know that you are podcasting with a villain. Okay. Oh, okay. I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way, so. <laughs> Welcome to Tencent Takes, the show where we molder under the male gaze, one issue at a time. My name is Mike Thompson, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, the femme fatale, whose true power is friendship, Jessica Frazier. You have no idea. (laughs) My true power is friendship. You are not wrong. It has afforded me quite a bit of opportunity. I am not going to lie to you. I mean, my superpower is that I make friends, man. Like, it's a good power to have. It's weird, but I'll take it. I'm like, (laughs) I don't know why y'all like me. (laughs) Then I'll go with it. I'll take it. I fooled you all. (laughs) Right. What's imposter syndrome? I don't know what that is. <laughs> what? If you are new to the show, our main episodes drop every other week and provide in-depth looks into interesting moments in comic books and how they tie into pop culture and history. But today is one of our Dollar Bin Discoveries mini episodes that we do in between those deep dives. We spend a lot of time rooting through dollar bins at local shops, looking for interesting stuff, and while a lot of the issues we find are fun and weird, there may not be enough for us to do a deep dive on them. At the moment, we always reserve the right to change our mind later. Each episode will feature both of us talking about one random issue that we came across in the dollar bins, one that fits a theme that one of us chose. I chose tonight's theme. It's great, obviously. And we talk about what it is, what goes on inside it, and why it's interesting. Effectively, these are mini episodes that are meant to provide you with some weekly content between our more in-depth discussions about the weirder and more interesting moments of comic book history. So tonight's theme is terrific team-ups. And... (laughs) In a weird moment of synchronicity, which happens a lot on this show, Jessica and I both ended up choosing comics starring a certain someone, which was kind of great. It was the weirdest thing, and I love it. (laughs) It's great. We do that sometimes, where we're just, like, way too in sync. Like, sometimes (laughs) I will send an exact picture of what I'm going to be doing for these, and I didn't do that this week. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> and this is what happens. <laughs> well, and then the other episode that we're recording tonight is for another yeah. theme. And I had to check because I was like, I don't know. I got a feeling that Jessica might actually cover the same comic. And shocker, she did. So yeah, sure did. Sure did. <laughs> it was I appreciate very good. you pivoting on that. <laughs> I was like, mm, I got an idea. So. <laughs> Anyway, why don't you kick things off and tell us what you are bringing to the table? Absolutely. So I have an issue of Tomb Raider, Witchblade. It's the special number one. And this was actually given to me by you. So it wasn't even yeah. kind of a dollar bin. I'm cheating. This is a cheater one because this wasn't a dollar bin. That was one that I found for far less than it's worth because it wasn't in like A plus pristine condition. And... And I was like, this is a cool one because that was the wizard exclusive edition that was signed by Michael Turner. And it comes with like a certificate of authenticity and all that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and also, I'm not trying to spoil things, but this was the first appearance of Lara Croft in comic books, which has since I gave it to you has become a big spec book because Lara Croft 
the rights have been snapped up by Amazon, I think. So I think they're doing a TV show. And then I think they also have the rights to the next game. So it's a it's a big deal. And it's made me collecting the Tomb Raider series that spun out of this much more difficult. I'm down to like under 10 books of that series. Wow. And and it's getting real hard to find those few issues because they're all towards the end and they're like real expensive. Okay. Well, spoiler, I probably don't want to read this again. So I, <laughs> so maybe I'll get it slabbed. What? <laughs> what? Mm. Goodness gracious. Okay. It was titled Vendetta, published in December of 1997 by Top Cow Comics. The story and pencils were by Michael Turner, who also signed it, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. inked by Joe Weems, the fifth. Colors by Jonathan D. Smith, letters by Robin Spehar and Dennis Heisler. So the story starts off with a woman calling the police to report a domestic issue next door at the Scarponi residence, with the woman saying that she's going to kill him this time. And then a giant demonic looking gargoyle thing bursts through their shared wall into her apartment, bringing Mr. Scarponi from next door in with it and leaving him dead and bloody on her floor. Just then, another woman pops into the apartment to fight the monster, calling him a murderer and trying to apprehend him. We later find out that this woman is Lara Croft, and she was hunting the monster, but was herself caught by the police in the apartment complex after the thing had flown away. So she's put with Detective Sarah Pizzini, and she's honest about what happened. She tells Sarah that she had been asked by her father's old and also read very elderly, like 91-year-old friend, Lucas Moralto, yeah. to go find a certain talisman in this one specific temple. Like, of course, obviously, right? So she goes, she retrieves the talisman. There's something weird about the statue. Uh, so she thinks that the guy just wants this because there's immortal properties that it might give his frail and failing body if, you know, rumor is true. But he actually tells her that he's going to use it to finish a family vendetta by killing off every Scarponi after they had a family feud where both families were all but annihilated, basically. Yeah, it's funny because like the Witchblade universe, it's like there's a lot of overlap with like New York organized crime. Like, you know, Sarah Pizzini is a detective for the NYPD. And then on top of that, she has she's like really tightly interwoven with. Jackie Estacado, the main character of the darkness, who is a hitman for a different crime family. So it's always kind of like been adjacent to organized crime, if not actually involved with it. That makes sense. That makes total sense, especially based on this. So Lara figures out while she's having this conversation what he actually wants this for and tries to Mm -hmm. take it from him which leads to the talisman breaking in half with Lara trying to retrieve the other half and also stop the monster she now feels responsible for because that's what got out when the talisman broke. Mm-hmm. So she also says that she knows how this sounds, but Sarah says something along the lines of, you'd be surprised when I'm open to at this point kind of a vibe <laughs> and yeah. tells her that they both go and defeat this thing together. You know, and makes a comment about, oh, the interesting wristwatch that she has. And she says, oh, I got it at a Macy's after Christmas Day sale. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, right. (laughs) So they get to this dude's house. And 
it's like a fortress on a hill. So, of course, mm-hmm. they can't just walk into the house or ring the doorbell. So Lara's like, okay, we're going to be swimming and breaking in at the base. <laughs> of course. And Sarah's like, um, okay, I'm a bit out of my element here. And so Lara gives her a wetsuit to put on. And Sarah says, are you sure I'm going to fit into this? It looks a little stretched out. What? <laughs> what? Damn. So they get in there. Lara's killing guards. And Sarah's like, whoa, what the fuck? I thought we weren't killing people. And Lara's like, I never said that. <laughs> so they get inside and they split up, of course, so that Sarah can check for more guards. And Lara makes her way to Moralto's office. He calls to her before she's even at the door when Laura says that they need to stop the vendetta, that these people weren't even the cause of the issue. They're just the grandchildren of the people involved and that Mm -hmm. they needed to put the talisman back together to stop this gargoyle. But he says that he actually found a new place for the talisman and he lifts up his shirt to show that it's embedded in his skin. And then he turns into the motherfucking gargoyle. Right. Because it's been Moralto on a killing spree this whole damn time. So Sarah comes in and blasts him with her witch arm, which we're just now getting to see, like, three quarters of the comic through, right? Yeah. And they end up fighting him for a bit in gargoyle form. And then Lara pulls the jewel from his chest, sending him back to his old man form with no supernatural entity to give him youth again. So he's alive, but Lara says that she's not worried about him because there's no way he's going to live much longer than like a month or two. So like, what can one feeble old man do? Mm -hmm. But the next scene we get is someone knocking at a door, asking if it's the Scarponi residence. And we see that it's Moralto at the door. And it says the end. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the story. Like, it was fine. Like, cool twist about Moralto being the gargoyle thing. Yeah. But the whole situation felt a little contrived. The art was a little confusing as well, since both Lara and Sarah were drawn in much the same way. They really had to go out of their way to put them in different enough looking outfits and make sure that Lara's braid was showing at points just to show yeah. us which brunette with big boobs we were seeing. Have you ever seen Michael Turner's art before? I have. And I think I just forget about it because like, it's not he- for me. So he was like really, really talented, like phenomenal yeah, artist. Yeah. And but like he only drew one body type for women, and and basically Precisely. one, and and pretty much like mm, I'm gonna say it, it was like variations on the same face. Like I mean, like absolutely stellar talent. Like I don't, I think he was one of those like you know one in a generation kind of artists, and he died really yeah. early on. I think he wasn't even fifty mm-hmm. when he died from cancer. Oh wow. But yeah, he was really good. And yeah. And I was like, it's funny because when I first started getting into the series, I'm like, oh, like, you know, Michael Turner did the series. I'm like, that checks out. And here's the thing. The yeah. scenery was really cool. Like everything was really neat. It was just like yeah. the only thing was like, I'm so confused because these two women are like the same person. Yeah, exactly. And like, and, you know, <laughs> I mean, at this point in time for a long while the character of Sarah Pizzini and the Witchblade comic was like the male gaze defined like because her outfit is uh I'm going to call it a mix of dental floss and scrap metal right 
Right. Well, speaking of that, this was very much meant for not my demographic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Between the incredibly sexualized way that the characters were drawn, like you were saying, which, of course, also included skin-tight clothing that showed every muscle on their bodies, as well as incredibly sexual-looking poses when they were doing things like getting Mm -hmm. out of the water or, like, shooting. And, like, ways that you really wouldn't just be in unless you were posing for a photograph. Yeah. And not only that, all of the advertisements in the comics were like for Rihanna Rouge, touted as a sensual action adventure on CD-ROM, with the graphic at the top saying, play me, and the picture being a bottle blonde who does not look at all happy, just like dead eyes, leaning on a comically large gun and wearing thigh-high boots, leather (laughs) spikes, and just chains dangling off of her very small metal leather bikini bottoms. Oh, she's a Playboy bunny, by the way. Of course. And there's fire at the bottom. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, you know, it's the late 90s, kind of like distilled into a a single image. God, it was so extra. It was so extra. I mean, it really did also tell the exact story of who they were targeting these comics towards. Oh, yeah. And I hate to say it, but there were some really glaring grammar issues that should have been caught in editing. Yeah, like Laura says something along the lines of, Something that I, she was supposed to be saying something like I haven't seen before, but it said Mm -hmm. something like I have seen before. And I'm like, that's such an easy fix to just see. Yeah. And they called her Laura. No. Throughout the comic, (laughs) throughout the fucking comic, the entire thing. They introduced her at the very beginning, her title page. It says Laura. Yeah. And then the rest of the fucking comic, it's Laura. Oh, man. It's, It's wrong. That's 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 like some Rob Liefeld. I had to look right exactly. Like like that's the like the level of attention to detail that I expect from like Rob Liefeld and his studios, where it's just like yeah, okay, whatever. But like this was Top Cow; they were putting out a lot of really high selling books. Like Michael Turner had been working on Witchblade at this point. Like you know he penciled the first few issues, if I remember right, and like those were big books. And Laura Croft at this point in time was a really big brand. Like yeah. 97 was, I think, Tomb Raider two or three was coming out and it was a monster game brand. Like it was huge. And I don't know, I would have like the other thing is this was like the backdoor pilot into the Tomb Raider series, right. which like that thing had such a massive launch. Like I have several versions of the first issue with different covers. And I love that it's like, I mean, they had superstar artists working on that stuff. Like I've got a cover by Dan Jurgens. They, they like, they gave out a promo issue at E3 that I have where it's got like the E3 logo and foil stamp on the cover. It was massive. And then the other thing is Lara Croft went on to be a huge part of the shared universe with top cow and image. Like she was really tightly interwoven with the darkness and the Witchblade, and I think the Magdalena. And then they created another character called Butcher Knight, who was like Lancelot, given like kind of a gargoyle form and all that. Like she was a massive part of that whole shared mythology. It was wild. Man, see? I'm so glad we both talked about this. <laughs> yeah. Also, the Tomb Raider series, I remember being pretty good. Like I've read, like, I'm actually kind of like reading it in the wrong order, but like, 
The final issue is written by Dan Slott, who is a really great writer who has done stuff for like Spider-Man and She-Hulk. And yeah. it is a really fun story. And they do a whole thing where like there's this Lara Croft museum that people are going through. And the avatar is like a hologram avatar that's touring people around. And she's designed to look like Lara Croft from the video games of like the PlayStation 1 era. And they're it's so funny it's like it's really clever and so there's a lot of good stuff from this but yeah that's totally that's like really kind of a bummer that like that little attention to detail man i and you know what was so funny was that it was bothering me so much that i was wondering if i got the other which because i'm not as familiar with witchblade as i am with Mm -hmm. like tomb raider right so you know i was like am i just like did I misthink this person's name? Like, is one nope. Laura and the other Lara? Like, and then I was like, no, they're just, they're saying it wrong. It's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I hate when little shit like that is wrong. I'm like, it's so easy. Yeah. And I mean, Witchblade itself, like, was a pretty big series. Like, I think they, I just snapped up the final issue from like a, a dollar bin online auction. And it was like issue nice. 180 something, I think. Like, okay. I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool thing. I'm like, I'll grab that. But yeah. Well, yeah. So that's what I have for you. I think I'm going to yeah. get this guy pressed and. Nice. I'm excited, know? man. Yeah. I was really careful because it like it really was one of those ones where like it hadn't been opened up very much. So I just kind of like yeah. it was just very gentle about how I opened mm-hmm. it. I didn't need it to be all the way open. I don't care about the little middle bits. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited about that. You'll have to show us what you get when you uh, send it off for grading. Yeah, for sure. Well, what about you, Mike? What did you bring to the table tonight? <laughs> okay, so this is a mouthful. I am talking about Witchblade, Aliens, The Darkness, Predator, colon, Mindhunter. <laughs> yeah, it was published in August of 2001 by Dark Horse Comics. It was written by David Quinn. It was penciled by Mel Ruby, inked by Mike Perkins, colored by Dan Jackson, lettered by Clem Robbins, and edited by Phil Emerar. So at this point in time, these characters were all crossing over everywhere. Like there were tons of aliens and predator and aliens predator crossovers with major brands like you know you saw them crossing over a lot of times with like dc and other dark horse and valiant figures the predator and then the darkness and witchblade were also crossing over everywhere like we have talked previously about the darkness superman crossover which i actually really enjoyed i was like oh this is fun like i i actually can dig this like this feels like this actually works pretty well yeah so so I thought this was really funny because I'm like, it's it's the characters who are crossing over everywhere, crossing over with each other. I'm down. So the comic opens with Sarah Pizzini, also known as the Witchblade, at a New Year's Eve ball in a very slinky dress as an undercover date for a mobster named Pellegrini. She excuses herself to go to the bathroom where she has a quick word with her backup in the surveillance van and tells them not to worry because wise guys these days aren't actually all that wise and there are worse predators out there. She lets them know that she'll give them the signal when it's time to make a move. And then she returns to her date just as the countdown begins. And suddenly things start to get kind of weird. She feels overheated and she sees the witchblade manifesting on her arm for a second before it's gone. And then she ends up getting lightheaded and almost passing out into Pellegrini's arms. He takes this as an opportunity to be like, oh, well, maybe we should go up to my suite where it's cooler and the champagne is better anyway. And so they go. Oh, yeah. It's like he's like full gross Lothario. So they go and then he like gets super sleazy 
immediately. There's literally a line about how her dress and necklace would look better on the floor. But then he starts. Yeah, it's good because then he immediately follows this up by like burping very loudly and he excuses himself to the bathroom and he's like, oh, apparently I overindulged on the raw oyster bar. And I was like, oh, that's (laughs) that's pretty funny. And he's just like making these grotesque sounds from the bathroom. And then Sarah remembers that the cop she was talking to in the van retired four years ago. And then the witchblade manifests on her arm again, but she can't hear its voice because it's like a sentient weapon. And then just then Jackie Estacado, AKA the darkness busts into the suite and he reveals he's there to kill Sarah's date, presumably because of a mob rivalry, but like, you know, he's a hitman, And so he's apparently has a contract on the dude. So Sarah and Jackie posture at each other for a minute Pellegrini keeps getting sicker in the bathroom and he starts clutching his chest, which we know where this is going. Right. The mobster then hears Jackie's voice and basically he runs out of the bathroom with his gun. One of the bodyguards that Jackie had left alive breaking in tries to grab him from behind and then people start shooting and Jackie flips the bodyguard towards Pellegrini just as a chestburster alien explodes out of him. And it also rips right Shut through the bodyguard up. before escaping out the window. Yeah, it's. Yeah. So this is where. This is where it gets even funnier. So Sarah's like internal monologue reveals that she has encountered these aliens before. And then like, and she's like, I know what they're doing. And I was like, wait, what? And I had to stop and look it up. It turns out this is not the first crossover for all of these brands. And I was like, motherfucker, stop. I have to get the other one now. Like oh I have to, God. I have to track all of these down at some point. Good Lord. So I love this. Yeah. She and Jackie end up setting out to like hunt down the xenomorph. They go to the surveillance van on the street only to find the men inside are now dead and butchered, like hanging upside down without the heads. Like we've seen in predator movies. Sarah basically says there is no reason for a predator to do this. And then she starts remembering things like how the cop that she'd been talking to was never there. And that's where she starts putting out how everything about this whole situation is like really weird. She's sitting there going like last time we dealt with the aliens and the predator we wiped the aliens off the planet and the predators honored us and everything about this whole scenario feels like weird and distant and not quite real to her. And then the two are attacked by a predator only. It's not the kind of predator that we're used to seeing. It's got a bit more of a stylized mask. That isn't like what we have normally seen in the movies or comics. And it's wearing rags that are almost shaped like a, a cloak. Like, for lack of a better term, like, it's really yeah. interesting. It's it's one of those things where, like, this feels a little off. So Jackie and Sarah follow the Predator into Central Park and then down a tunnel. And then they seemingly start falling through space only to be told by this, like, demonic looking face in kind of, like, hologram form telling them to wake up. Mm. And the duo comes to in a chamber that's filled with those eggs that contain the facehugger aliens and Sarah recognizes the demon's voice but not his face the facehuggers all hatch and then they start like leaping at the two but Sarah calls out the demon as Kenneth Irons who's he's like a villain from Witchblade he's kind of like her own personal Lex Luthor he acknowledges that it's him and then the facehuggers all vanish like in an instant Irons says he's actually a future version of the man she knows And the future that he's from is actually one where humanity is almost extinct. Those still alive worship the aliens as angels. And Sarah says that he's lying. And Iron's response is, well, would you bet the world on that? Because in my time you have and you lost. To be continued. Damn. Okay. No wonder things feel a little strange. (laughs) Yeah. it's You're not in your time, Beezaboo. 
I'm not going to say this was a good comic, but I felt it was interesting. Like, I didn't hate it. It feels like a comic that you can't really take seriously. Quinn's story, I think, is actually pretty fun. And I appreciated that he really didn't waste time trying to introduce us to the aliens and the predator species. Because, I mean, like, let's be honest, those two properties are, like, pretty iconic. And if you're reading a comic crossover with them, you probably already know who and what they are. And... Likewise, Ruby's art is really good. I actually know Mel. He and I used to work together at a video game studio in Sacramento. Phenomenally talented artist. And at this point in time, he'd actually been working on a lot of Aliens and Predator comics, you know, for Dark Horse. But it's also a little weird because this is very clearly a comic from a certain era that really catered to the male gaze. Like, as much as I like the witch played band, her outfit at this point in time was, like I said earlier, it's like dental floss and scrap metal. This is shocking to me. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) And, you know, even when she's not wearing that specific look, she's incredibly sexualized throughout the book. Like, at one point, she's wearing a trench coat, but you can see, like, the nipple sort of outlined through the fabric. And Jackie, Yeah. Yeah, and, like, Jackie, likewise, is catering to the male power fantasy. He shows up originally, and his clothes get shredded as he manifests his armor. And then he's shirtless for like a large part of the issue. And and I mean, you know, it's just super jacked to the point where like his musculature is not physically possible. But all that said, this isn't nearly as bad as I was expecting it to be. And I found myself mostly enjoying it overall. Like, you know how sometimes you just want a Big Mac, even though, you know, it's not good for you. Like, oh, this is. Yeah. Yeah. This is the comic equivalent of that. Yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah, this is. This is fine. I'm like, I can I can read something deep and good later on. But like, this is scratching a little bit of an itch. It's fine. Right. Right. I hear you. But well, yeah. Nice. So yeah. Well, we will be back next week with another full length episode. I have no idea what we're covering because we record these all out of order. But after that, we'll be back with another dollop and discovery. And until then, we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Mike Thompson, and edited by Jessica Frazier. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan MacDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who's at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to tencenttakes.com or shoot an email to tencenttakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter for now. The official podcast account is tencenttakes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. You can also find us on Instagram, Mastodon, Facebook, TikTok, and Blue Sky. A full list of our socials will be listed in the show notes. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.